So the message will be a little bit different uh, today because I really felt strongly the Lord wanted me to share with you uh, what I've been going through and what He's been showing me through this, and I really believe with all of my heart it's going to help you no matter what you're going through right now. I want to let you know a little bit of the, the next few weeks, though. Um, after Father's Day, we already had, or beginning Father's Day, we already had uh, my family vacation scheduled. We have a place to go, kids have taken off, and we have that break that I normally take during the uh, summer scheduled. So when we got together with the elders and talked and the doctors were telling us, uh, even though it'll take only three to four weeks for the blood to replenish some of the blood counts, it'll take 120 days full recovery. And so we thought, well, this is probably just God that uh, he's got his vacation planned as well. So I'll speak this weekend and next weekend. And then Father's Day, I have a very, very special gift for the fathers. I already had this plan for my summertime. Uh, and so Father's Day, we have J. John coming. Now, you may have never heard of J. John. He's the one that was preaching when Chris Kane surrendered to the ministry. And uh, many of you ladies know Christine Kane that comes and speaks at Pink. Uh, he is actually a canon in the Church of England. Uh, now, what that means is, is that he uh, uh, would be like a bishop or an archbishop or a cardinal or something in a Catholic church, but the Church of England is evangelical. So he's a canon in the Church of England. He is um, just a tremendous speaker, but let me just say this, he's extremely humorous. He's very, very funny. So I want you to, Father's Day, I want you to invite someone. Bring your dads, bring someone else, invite another family from work to come for Father's Day, uh, and you, you'll just, you're going to love J. John. Uh, and then, you saw probably on the announcement there that the week after Father's Day, Dave Ramsey's going to be here. I was with Dave uh, in January. He asked me to come out and speak to his staff, and then to be on his show, his program, and so um, I did that. And when I was out there, I said to him, Dave, you have such a message that every person needs to hear. It, his message helps people. I promise you it will help you. But I said, have you ever thought about instead of just doing a seminar, doing like a series in a church on the weekends? And I said, I'd like for you to do it at Gateway while I'm on vacation and do a series on uh, handling finances God's way and talk about it. And then you can actually film it, tape it, and then let other churches use that as well if they'd like to. So he said, man, I think that's fantastic. So he will be here the week after Father's Day. Now, that's the only weekend he'll be live. And what he'll do is he'll speak a different message every service. And then the next few weeks, we'll play the rest of those messages. So the reason I'm telling you that, it won't affect any campus other than the South Lake campus. If you attend the South Lake campus and you attend, uh, you know, the 9 o'clock or the 545 or the 1045 service, whatever service you attend, you would want to attend that service then for the next four weeks so that you'll be in sync with the messages, or you might see a message that you've already uh, seen. But all the messages will be cataloged, archived on the internet, so if you do happen to miss one, you can go back to it. And let me just tell you um, why I'm doing this, and if, you, if you've been here for a while, you know me. I preach on finances because I think it's an extremely important part of our walk with God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But when I speak on it, I speak mainly from a giving motivation. That's my motivation. And I, I help people in the area of giving. Uh, Dave helps people really in the area of managing. And I want you to know, I'm not bringing Dave in to get more money in the church. I'm bringing Dave in to put more money in your pockets. I promise you that most of us have had very little teaching in this area, and it will help you tremendously. And Dave is a fantastic speaker. 
If you've heard him on his radio program or his television program on Fox, uh, he's a tremendous, tremendous speaker. So that's what we'll be doing for the summer. All right, turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 12, and I'll share with you uh, what happened and what, I'm, what I've been going through. Um, as I said, we, we decided to go ahead and do the summer schedule the way we already had planned. We felt like that was the Lord. Uh, one of the reasons was all the doctors were saying to me, it's going to take longer than you think. It's going to take longer than you think. And uh, about two weeks ago, I left one of the doctor's offices, and I said to, and the doctor said the very same thing to me, it's, it's Robert, it's just going to take longer than you think. And uh, I said to Debbie, uh, I just didn't think it would take this long. And she said, I think that's what longer than you think means. And it is taking longer than I think, but it, it, I, I'm getting much, much uh, better. I've had some uh, short-term memory loss um, uh, because there's just not enough oxygen to the brain, and that's the first thing that uh, it will affect. Uh, I actually thought that I might have had a mild stroke because I, I, wasn't, I couldn't remember things. Um, I would uh, say to Tom, um, uh, have I talked to you this week? Uh, have I told you this? I couldn't remember if I'd talked to him, even if it was the day before. And um, I, uh, Steve Doolin, I was talking to him about this, and I, uh, Steve said, well, Robert, you, you've been repeating stories. You know, you, you, you tell me a story that you told me yesterday. And I couldn't remember, and it, it, it alarmed me, and so I, I got a CAT scan, and, but I did not have a mild stroke, but the doctor told me, you're very low on iron, and your blood level's low, and this is what, it, the first thing that's affected is your short-term memory. Of course, when I got in the car, I, I was, Debbie and I were talking about it again, and I said, well, you know, I was very concerned because I couldn't remember. I wasn't being able to remember, and I was repeating stories. And she said, Robert, you've been doing that a long time. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, here's what happened. The, the, right after Easter, on Monday after Easter, we got on a plane and flew to Melbourne, Australia, and I spoke in the conference for Planet Shakers there. Spoke uh, three times for them. And then on Friday morning after that, then we flew to, I spoke Friday morning, got on the plane, flew to Sydney for Melbourne, Spoke Friday night, Saturday morning with Brian Houston for Hillsong in a conference for Hillsong. And then I spoke Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, three times Sunday morning, twice Sunday night for Hillsong. So I spoke uh, 10 times in 72 hours. And when I landed, I, I had a headache. And I had, a, I had a, a migraine headache literally for several weeks, but I had not stopped. My schedule was such that I just didn't feel I could stop. And I want to say something here. Uh, I know that the enemy attacks us uh, when we're down. I know he attacks us when we have an open door in our lives that maybe we don't even know about. Uh, but sometimes it, it may not all be the devil. We, we, there may be some responsibility of our own that we're not doing something that we should be doing. And we're allowing then an open door for the enemy to attack. And I think that's the way it is even with headaches sometimes. God designed our bodies. And I think sometimes our bodies are telling us to slow down, but instead of slowing down, we just take a pill, and we keep right on going, and then we get worse and worse and worse. And that's really where I was. I just was going too fast, too much this uh, spring, and uh, so I had this tremendous migraine headache, but I had to speak at two conferences and then the church on the weekend, and I just kept going, and I just kept taking more medicine to try to knock out the headaches. Finally. I thought Monday through Thursday after that I'd be able to rest, and we already scheduled some rest time. 
uh, and I thought that would do it, but the headache was very, it was very bad. The doctor said to me, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? I said, 12. And um, so I, I called Hillsong Church, and I said, is there a doctor in the church that could help? They sent a, uh, called a doctor, he called, he came to the hotel and gave me an injection. He did that on Monday and on Tuesday. And then I was also taking medication, uh, and I was taking medication there that I was getting in Australia, which is a little different from what we have here. Uh, anyway, that medication then eroded my stomach lining, which we would call that an ulcer. But if that ulcer is over an artery, then that's how you can lose a lot of blood quickly. Uh, on that Thursday of that week, we went to dinner, Debbie and I, to lunch with Tom and Jan. Tom and Jan Lane, Pastor Tom, they were with us in Australia. And we always have uh, someone travel with someone overseas. We always go in teams. Uh, and this is one of the reasons if something happens, then you've got someone there that can help, you know. And Pastor Tom just took care of everything so Debbie didn't have to worry about the things that I was having to go through. So anyway, um, we went to lunch with them, and I was getting better. Now, the headache was going. It was the fourth day. I was getting better, uh, and I felt really good that day. Well, we were supposed to go to dinner that night, and I couldn't stand up, uh, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought, and the doctor said, well, maybe you're weak from the medicine. Uh, call me back in the morning, and when Debbie then went to sleep, I couldn't stand up without my heart just pounding, and I, I would get very winded and uh, almost passed out, and I didn't get to talk to the doctor very long that night. He said, I'll call you in the morning. Well, that night after Debbie went to sleep, I started passing blood, and I started passing a lot of blood. And so the next morning, I immediately called him, and I didn't know what it was, actually, until the next morning when I described it, he said, uh, you're losing blood, and we need to go to the hospital. And so he came over to the hotel room. He got everything set for me to go to the hospital. Uh, Tom and Jan uh, and Debbie and a driver from the church there took me to the hospital. And Tom went, then went into the room. They took me in another little room to get all my information. And Tom went in there to kind of help so he could just take care of those things. Well, in that room, when I'm being admitted, uh, I passed out. And um, by the way, if you're, uh, if you're in an emergency room, waiting room, and you, you want to get admitted, the fastest way to get admitted <laughs> is to pass out. So you just pass out, and they just come from everywhere, and they just really take care of you. And um, you go to the top of the list you know, when you're unconscious. And so they, they hit this, Tom told me later, they hit this red button on the wall and people just came from everywhere. Well, it was alarming, obviously, to Debbie because she saw me go in that room. And now all the doctors are running that room. And then the next thing they know, she knows they're taking me on a stretcher through the waiting room where she is. And I'm, I'm completely out of it. And they're, they've undone my shirt and they pulled the t-shirt up. And they're sticking stuff on me and they're checked the heart and all. And they started uh, elevating my feet, daubing me with, you know, water and all that. And, and I started coming to then, and I remember, this is just humorous to me, when I came to, I heard uh, the nurse say, uh, just cut his shirt off. And the doctor said, no, don't cut that shirt. That's a nice shirt. <laughs> so, I thought, well, at least I get to keep my shirt, you know, so... Um, but after a while, everything was fine with my heart. Uh, my blood pressure was very low. It was like 90 over 50 uh, because I had lost so much blood. They um, uh, did a check and I'd lost a third of my blood. Now you gotta remember, uh, this is noon on Friday. Noon on Thursday, I was fine. So in less than 24 hours, I'd lost a third of my blood and obviously just a few more hours and it would have been life-threatening. And so um, I was in the hospital. I stayed two days in the hospital and um, they, they uh, you know, took care of me. They got the bleeding stopped. 
I started getting a little more stabilized. It was kind of tough, though. We thought I'd go home after one day, and when I had to tell Debbie I had to stay another day, it got kind of, uh, you know, difficult at that point. Uh, but anyway, I was released on Sunday, and we flew home on Monday. But let me tell you what happened on Sunday, and this is the revelation that I think is going to help you tremendously. Um, when I got released on Sunday, um, they uh, went back to the hotel, and I just went to sleep for about five hours, just out of it, because I didn't sleep at, at the hospital. And, um, and then I said to Debbie, I want to take a bath. I, wouldn't, I couldn't stand up for a shower. And so, got in the bathtub, and um, she gave me a kiss and said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And then she walked out. And when she walked out, these are the thoughts that started going through my mind, and then the Lord spoke to me. I thought to myself, how could she love a body like this? That's what I thought. How could she love a body like this? And I just remembered all the things my body has put her through. She, I've been in multiple emergency rooms. Uh, just a few months after we got married, I, um, one of my lungs collapsed because I had cysts on my lungs from marijuana smoke. And uh, one of my lungs collapsed. And again, I mean, we're, we're newlyweds, and the ambulance is coming, taking me to an emergency room. And Debbie's in there, and they said, we have to do emergency surgery. We have no time to, to, to uh, you know, we have to do it right now. And she was in the room, and, and she, yeah, while they, and they opened me up and started putting tubes in uh, to get my lung expanded while she's in the room. She had to obviously turn away, um, and they didn't use any uh, anesthesia. But anyway, that's, that's just so you feel sorry for me. <laughs> so, um, but I've been, I, I just, I've been putting her through all sorts of stuff, this body. So I thought, how could she love a body like this? And I'm just thinking this. I don't can't stop it, you know? And then I thought, I don't love this body. I don't even like this body. And then I, I just had this thought. I hate this body. And then memories began to just come to me, and that's when the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, that's the problem. That's the problem. You hate your body. Now, let me say something here. I'm going to use the word hate because um, that's, that's the way I am. That's the way, so the Lord knows how to speak to me. You know, I, I either love something or I hate it. There's no middle ground with me. You, you understand what I'm saying? You're either like me or you're married to someone like me if you're married. So, uh, what, we have Elaine, my daughter, in my family is like me. There's no one, you know, Debbie and the boys are not like this, but uh, my, my daughter is like this. Matter of fact, she heard two speakers one time speak, and uh, I said, how were they? She said, Dad, the first one was heaven, the second one was hell. So, that's just, you know… She wouldn't even give him purgatory. You know, she, she said he's hell. So, so, that, so, so don't let the word hate hang you up. If you say, well, I don't hate my body. I might not like it, but I don't hate it. All right, so don't let that hang you up. Stay with me. So I started in my mind then, the Lord just started reminding me of all the accidents that I had growing up. I had all sorts of accidents. When I was first in an accident, by the way, my parents are here in the front row, so they remember all this. Um, my first accident was when I was three years old, and I was going around the corner on a tricycle and didn't make the corner. And uh, I know this is, you know, you think a tricycle. I was sharing with my intercessors the other night. I said my first accident was when I was three. I had a tricycle accident, and the uh, one of my intercessors is a medical doctor that works in emergency rooms. Done it. Worked in emergency rooms for 30 years, and he started laughing. And I said, you, you laughing because I had an accident? He said, I don't, I don't mean laugh about that. He said, it's just I've been in emergency rooms for 30 years. I've just never heard of a tricycle accident. <laughs> so, 
Uh, but my two front teeth went completely through my bottom lip and then lodged in my bottom lip, and I actually had to have two surgeries when I was three. One surgery to remove the teeth, and another surgery then a few months later to remove scar tissue. But my bottom lip was always bigger than other kids' bottom lips because there's still scar tissue in there, and I can feel it if I touch it. And I just remember even going to school, that was another thing I hated about my body, that my bottom lip was bigger than all the other kids' bottom lip. I tried to pull it in. I remember when I went to join the band, the band teacher said, well, you, you'd be great to play the trombone with those big lips. <laughs> you know, I, why would you say that to a kid? I mean, I felt like saying, yeah, you, you're probably a great dancer with those big feet. You know, I, you, know you don't know. It's not a compliment, you know. So, um, so I had all sorts of accidents growing up. I had motorcycle accidents and horse riding accidents. I rode bulls, and I had a, a bull accident where, you know, well, it's really not an accident. If you ride a bull, you deserve it. But anyway... <laughs> Both these bones were broken in, in this arm from bull riding. Uh, and so I was in the emergency room a lot growing up. It's just crazy. And I started thinking about these accidents that I had. And then I started thinking about all the drugs that I took before I came to Christ. And I, I just did all sorts of illegal drugs and never thought about the consequences. And yet I realized even after I got saved then, the consequences of that, because I now have a high tolerancy to drugs because of all the drugs that I took. As a matter of fact, I even had a doctor tell me that and did a test on me, and he said, you're about four times the limit. In other words, if, if, if someone needs this much medicine, you'll need four times that, because your body is so, uh, has such a tolerancy to drugs, it's just not, gonna, it's not good for you. Debbie has a low tolerancy. Now, some of you understand what I'm talking about. Some of you have drugs don't affect you very much. Others, you can't take hardly anything. If Debbie takes a Benadryl, she'll sleep for three days. I mean, that's just all there's to it. So, so I thought about all the drugs I took, how I had abused my body. And then I thought about the immorality that I was involved in and all the sexual immorality I was involved in. Now, then I got revelation on a scripture that I knew. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. That's where I asked you to turn. And I, I never understood this scripture until sitting in the bathtub that day. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse um, 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Okay, I never understood what that means, sins against his own body. Now, this is what the revelation came to me that day. If we have a way of thinking, now I want you to remember this statement. This is the, the, the uh, context of the whole message. If we have a way of thinking that is contrary to God's Word, it's an open door for the enemy. No matter what area of our life it's in, if it's in the area of uh, sexual immorality, impurity, uh, that, that my needs won't be met this way, they have to be met this way. Uh, if it's in the area of uh, some addiction, alcoholism or drug addiction, if it's in the area of insecurity or fear, as uh, Pastor Jimmy just talked about in the series, it's a way of thinking that's contrary to what the Bible says about us. Any way that we think that's contrary to Scripture is an open door for the enemy. So if I don't like my body, then that's a stronghold then that the enemy can come in and try to destroy my body. You understand what I'm saying? Think about the Gadarene demoniac in, in Mark chapter 5. It says he was all in the tombs night and day cutting himself. And we've heard about people cutting their bodies or trying to destroy their own bodies. And I, I just thought, I just thought, if, if I'm not thinking about my body correctly, 
then I've given an open door to the enemy. And now, all of a sudden, I'm open to accidents. I'm open to sickness. I'm open to abuse of abusing my body, sexual abuse of abusing my body, drug abuse. I'm open to all these things because I haven't seen my body as what my body really is. If you look on in, in verse uh, 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 6, it says, or do you not know that your body, not your mind, not your soul, not your spirit, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. You're not your own. You don't even belong to you. Your body does it. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you remember about a year and a half ago, I was under conviction in this area. And I preached a message called glorify God in your body. And I lost weight and I started getting more in shape and trying to take better care of my body. But it's still been a, a struggle for me. Uh, last night after the message, Debbie was at Walmart and uh, she, a couple came up to her and, and that had been in the service. And the guy said, since that message a year and a half ago, when, when Pastor Robert preached that message on glorify God in your body, I've lost over 100 pounds. I see he's, he's understanding, getting the revelation, his body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what the Lord is showing me. If I don't take care of my body, then the Holy Spirit's expression through me is going to be limited. I'm not going to be, do, be able to do what God wants me to do. Think about this. If I die prematurely, the Holy Spirit has no expression through me on this earth. Now, he'll have expression through others, but not through me. The work of God through me, the expression of the Holy Spirit through me ends, and it could end prematurely if I don't take care of my body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now watch this. This is pretty strong. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered, said to them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Again, it's all through Scripture that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 12, I ask you to turn there. Romans 12, verse 2, this is the foundational Scripture Pastor Jimmy used in the series we just got out of. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's verse 2. Verse 1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Notice again, not your mind. Verse 2, he talks about our mind, but verse 1, he talks about our bodies. And let me show you one more scripture. Pastor Jack Hayford gave me this scripture when I was going through this. Ephesians 5, verses 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And notice this word hate. No one ever hated his own flesh. Now again, it, well, here's what this means. It doesn't mean that this doesn't happen. It means it's not God's desire. See, there are, there are men that don't love their wives as Christ loved the church, but that's not his desire. There are people that don't love their bodies. They don't nourish and cherish their bodies, but that's not God's desire. What he's saying is no one should. No one should ever hate his own flesh, but he should nourish it and he should cherish it. Because I, there was a hatred in me for my body, again, I can remember since I was a little boy, I didn't like my body. 
I, didn't, I just didn't like it. I was skinny growing up, and I, I didn't like that. I thought men should be big and strong. You know, I just, I didn't like being skinny. Now, just to let you know, I've overcome that. <laughs> I have the victory over that now. So, but I didn't like being skinny, and I hated my body, and all these accidents, and then all this drug, the drugs that I took. Again, there was an open door in my life for the enemy to try to destroy my body. He was the one trying to destroy it. He was taking advantage of that. And then the sexual immorality. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Okay, I never understood that scripture. Here's what I heard that day from the Lord. Tries to destroy his own body. He who commits sexual immorality tries to destroy his own body. Because our body's the temple. And we're subjecting it to a destruction. And you read Proverbs 7, the man that goes into an immoral woman will destroy himself. I, here I was destroying myself I didn't even realize it because then after I got saved, the doctor said, you know, if you have headaches, it's going to take more to knock it out. And instead of slowing down, instead of taking care of myself, now I understand, I believe the enemy attacked me. I, don't, I, I believe that. But I'm looking and saying, God, what do I need to do differently so that there's not an open door in my life? Uh, during this time, uh, I really didn't know if I was going to make it. And one night I had a dream. And I know the dream is from the Lord. I, I normally don't remember my dreams. Normally, my dreams are real weird. I mean, they're real weird. They're like building a go-kart with Mickey Mouse, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so, but I had a dream that Debbie and I were seated at a, a, a table having lunch with her father. Now, you need to know her father went to be with the Lord about eight years ago. And so, we're sitting there talking with her father, and her father was a real quiet, reserved man. But I remember in my dream, he wasn't quiet and he wasn't reserved. He was very outgoing. He was very bubbly. His personality was just um, very talkative, which he was not on this earth. And I was telling him all the things that uh, Debbie had done, like writing the book and Pink and all the and speaking and doing television things and ministering, all these things that she was doing, she had done since he went to be with the Lord. Now, here's what I, I knew in my spirit. I just knew two things in the dream. I knew them. One was I knew that I was talking to him, her father, as he is now. Because I kept thinking, he's so different. He's so alive. He's so bubbly. He's so joyful. He's so talkative. And he wasn't this way on earth. And, and you know, many times our personalities are formed by our upbringing. And so I'm looking, I'm thinking, but he's free. He's free now. I'm talking to him as he is now. And then the second thing I knew was that even though we were telling him things and he was enjoying hearing it, he already knew him. I knew that he had been watching her since he passed away. I knew he was a part of that great cloud of witnesses, and I just knew it. I knew that I was talking to him. He had come from heaven to sit down and talk with us. That's, I knew that. And then he said, uh, well, I've got to go. And I just panicked. And you have to understand, this is while I'm going through this stuff, and I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. And I've just panicked. I just thought, that's why he's here. I've got to go with him. I've got to leave Debbie sitting at this table by herself. And he reached over and he took my hand and he said, no, no, you don't have to go yet. It's not your time. Of course, the dream brought me great encouragement, you know, obviously during that time. Here's what I've been thinking since then. 
How many people on this earth leave before it's their time? Because they don't take care of the temple of the Lord. When I was in that hospital room, I remember just crying out to the Lord. I was all by myself. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry I did this to my body. Because I felt like I had done this because I'd allowed this to get that, this place, obviously. And then it dawned on me, and I remember the Scripture. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry I did this to your temple, not my body. Here's how I know everyone can relate to it. Everybody here probably at some point or another has had something that you didn't like about your body. You're too tall, too short, uh, too skinny, too heavy, the way you look, your face, expressions, whatever it is, imperfections. And I'm just wondering if it's an open door that you don't see your body as a gift from God, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you should nourish and cherish it. Or we might say something like this, I hate myself. Now, you say, well, I wouldn't say that, but what about this? Would you ever think something like this? I hate myself for what I did. I hate myself when I act like this. Now, obviously, we're to hate the works of the flesh, but there's something different when it's turned toward ourselves. Let me read you one other thing. Um, Elaine, my daughter, is um, in um, uh, the King's University. She's a student there. And she will uh, send me her papers many times to proofread them. Now, uh, I had to make it clear because Dr. Sperling was in the service last night. I had to make it clear that I don't change the content <laughs> of her papers, that I only proofread the grammar. And I could just see Dr. Sperling reading one of her papers saying, I'm not sure Elaine knows what that Greek word means, you know. So, uh, but I proofread the grammar. So this last week, I prepared this message. She sent me a paper to proof. And I said, well, I'm studying, but when I finish studying, I will, I'll read it and I'll look over it. And so I was preparing this message and I finished. And so I opened it up and her assignment was to write, write about what's going on in your life right now. What about, write about what's going on, you know, in the last few months in your life. And part of the paper she wrote about this. And it touched me and I want to read it to you. In Australia, they have socialized medicine. So the processes and procedures are a lot different than what we might expect here in America. By the way, let me just say, we don't want socialized medicine in America. I don't, I don't want to go, I'm not trying to go down a road or get you upset with your political beliefs, but the last person you want taking care of you is the government. <laughs> so uh, it was very different in, in, um, in Australia. Even though they're a very advanced nation, um, it was very different. Uh, okay, so the procedures are much different than we would expect here in America. For instance, they would not allow anyone to stay overnight with the patient. So my mother had to leave at eight and then not be able to return. She was not able to return till 10 the next morning. I can only imagine how hard this was for her and for my dad. Honestly, I'm not sure that we kids understood how bad my dad was doing until one night after my mom left, he called each of us. It was a Friday morning here, and I remember the phone call as though it was this morning. I asked him how he was doing, and he gave me a very generic answer, something like I'm doing better. But he proceeded to tell me then that he wanted to make sure that I knew that he loved me with all of his heart, 
no matter what, and forever and always. Lastly, he told me that if anything happened to him and he didn't come home, to make sure that my mom received the anniversary gift that he had bought her. Their anniversary was just a few weeks away. I stayed strong on the phone, but as soon as we hung up, I lost it. I remember telling God that he had to come home because I was about to have a baby girl in just a few short months. And I couldn't even begin to imagine him not being here to hold her. In that moment, I went to war for my dad's life, and I prayed for him. The next morning, all of the kids got together, and we began to pray for our family, for God to protect us and guard us. Four long days later, I stood at the airport and watched my dad walk off the plane. He was home. I want to be here for my grandkids. And I want to be here for the church. And I want to fulfill the call that God has on my life. God has a purpose for me. Now listen to me. God has a purpose for you. And some of you here are going through such a difficult time, even in worship today, you are struggling. I want you to know God has a purpose for you. He wants to bring you through what you're going through right now. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit like we do every week, God, what are you saying to me through this message? Just take a moment. Just close your eyes and just ask Him. The same way God spoke to me in that bathtub, God can speak to you. He wants to speak to you. So just take a moment. Just ask Him, God, what are you saying to me through this message? And if you're going through something right now, we want to pray for you. I mean, we really want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. And prayer changes things. There are so many miracles that have happened in the last few weeks in my life that I know are a result of prayer. You prayed for me, and I appreciate that. We want to pray for you. So if you're going through a difficulty right now in any area of your life, no matter which campus you're attending or even if you're in an overflow room, in just a moment, we're going to have leaders at the front of the campus or at the front of the overflow room where you are, and we want to pray for you. Here's what we do. We have one last worship song. We, we ask that no one leaves during this time unless you have an appointment, you need to get somewhere. We understand that. But it's important. It's important for those of us who are not coming for prayer to create an atmosphere of the presence of God to minister to people. But if you need prayer in any area of your life, as soon as we stand up, you just stand up, step out and come to the front of the room where you are. There'll be leaders there. If you're in the second level at South Lake, uh, there are leaders by each of the exits. So please, if you need prayer and you're in the second level here at South Lake, don't leave. Don't leave. We did this specifically for you so you could also be, receive prayer. So just by every exit, there are four exits up there. You just head toward one of the exits. You'll see people there with name badges and they want to pray with you. Don't leave without being prayed for if you need prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person right now at every campus that has a need of prayer in Jesus' name, amen.